The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Hold your hats. I'm going to talk AI and it's the most bizarre concept to me. So we'll see how we do. Thanks to my next guest who's going to explain it all. He's a Wexford man who's worn many hats during his decade of adulthood from comedy sketch writer to street performer. Is that right, David? Comedy sketch writer, street performer. (laughs) Am I digging myself into a hole of AI that I can't come out of? (laughs) Absolutely not. Steve Jobs had to start somewhere as well. Oh, Jesus, uh, working in Wexford uh, for for Bui Bullock as a street theatre oh, performer. Brilliant. That was my first job. Yeah, I remember, it, I remember it very well. And uh, also, you were the backstage reporter for The Voice of Ireland, if people remember The Voice of Ireland. How did you get that gig? Oh my God! I remember I was I was going to DCU. I was studying there, and I had been out of out of. I went to St Peter's College in Wexford. And I went up to DCU then, and I didn't really know what was going on. And there was an audition over in the Helix, which happened to be in the campus as well. And I ended up just going for it, and I got on very well with everybody there. And they kind of kept me around for three years, you know. I don't really know why, but well, uh, yeah, sure. That's it was, it was a good experience. God, fair play to you. <laughs> well, now that is David Atkinson and he has entered the world of AI with lip video and he thinks it's something we, we shouldn't be afraid of. That is AI. And uh, David is on the Sunday Grill this morning to tell us more. David, I am so wary of AI. I feel I'm just being duped constantly. So <laughs> explain it. You don't think people should be scared of artificial intelligence at all, do you? Absolutely not, Orla. I think artificial intelligence is going to change the way everybody works, everybody lives. It's going to be something that will make our lives better. But the key to it is making sure that we control it and that we have, uh, we call them guardrails around the technology so that it's working for people, not against people. So what we're creating with LIP is something that's quite ethical and it's something that's uh, very important because it's, it's overcoming a language barrier. And anybody that's listening now will know somebody that doesn't speak English. Mm-hmm. So how do you actually connect with somebody? That's what LIP is trying to solve. We're trying to get over that last hurdle in communication, which is language. And that hurdle in communication all happens online, of course. So this is kind of for the Zoom generation and the online meeting de- generation. Absolutely. So five billion minutes were used on Zoom calls during COVID in 2020. And that's only actually going to get bigger the more people uh, work remotely, the more people that work actually even just in businesses themselves. Um, anybody that uses video day to day, which is pretty much anyone, I, I think the uh, the Internet actually now is 90 percent video is mm. consumed, which is most Internet traffic. We We work in that space. And what we do is we take a person's mouth on screen and we change their mouth movements to make it look like they can speak another language. So what that looks like to somebody is if you're speaking English and the other person only speaks Spanish, then you will look like you're speaking Spanish and the other person looks like they're speaking English. And it's going to transform how we all talk to each other. But I, sorry, now you're you're going to have to back up on this. So you're, (laughs) (laughs) you're speaking English but the person is hearing their native language. Yes, exactly. So and how is that happening? So that's that's um, translating as you speak. Exactly, okay. exactly that. So, so what essentially it does is as I'm speaking, it's taking in the words in English, it's understanding them in English, it's translating them to Spanish. And then we use a very large training model, which takes about 10,000 hours of, of mouth movements from a person. And it basically manipulates the mouth movements based on those 10,000 hours 
because it knows what every single mouth movement and every sound that a person's mouth can make, and it changes it into Spanish. So for the end user, all they see is a person speaking Spanish at them. But to you, you're speaking English. And it's overcoming the language barrier through an understanding of what, how, the, how a human looks when they're talking. And what we do, and that's all AI, that's generative AI. So we but create how, that. But, but you're, you're talking about the lip movements, and I understand that, that you're changing the way someone forms words. But how is it instantly changing English into Spanish? It's just speed. It's speed. So we have we have loads and loads of training. So we have a whole a whole bank of content uh, that of, of people's mouth movements. And what, what we do is we learned how every single person's mouth movement sounds as they make it. And from there, then you can you can essentially apply a uh, uh, like a, like a text-to-speech engine or mm-hmm. speech-to-text engine. And then you, you put that on top of it, make a WAV form. This is going a little bit technical, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you make, a, you make a, a WAV form and then you essentially move the mouth movements to suit the sound that the human is making. So it's a bit like when I was in college doing French and I just put like my English into a search engine and it would spout out <laughs> the French for me. So it's doing it really exactly. quickly, and, uh, uh, but also incorporating those mouth movements. Exactly that. So if you can imagine Google Translate maybe 10, 20, maybe even 30 years ago, the Mm. translation services that were there, people were shocked by how quickly you could translate something. Uh That's going to happen for video. And we're on the cusp of that. And does that mean, David, though, like a bit like when I was using Google Translate in college, that it wasn't the best of French that I was getting back from it? That's a fantastic question. And the answer is no. So we're actually 95% accurate. And we can plug into other engines that work even more accurately. And also on top of that, a lot of people are afraid of AI because they think it might take jobs. We don't want to take people's jobs. In fact, what we can do with our system is allow a translator to integrate with the software. This is what I'm talking about, about AI making people's lives better. Because what it does is it it can integrate with a translator so the translator can make the perfect translation that only a human can do. Because because robots are fantastic, Mm. machines are excellent, but they're never going to be as good at capturing the essence of a message like a human can. Okay. So what sort of people have been taking this up? Lots of different people. So, I mean, at the end of the day, right, 80% of the internet is not in English. So if you want to reach 80% of more people in the entire world, you have to speak another language. So international communicators, training videos, onboarding videos, uh, even just influencers and content creators. If you want to scale your business to more people, you need to be able to speak that language. Like if somebody's listening to this radio station now and they don't speak English, how are they going to understand the messaging? The honest answer is they can't, and they couldn't up until now. That's what Lip is trying to do. We're trying to allow, make, kind of make it, it shouldn't, you shouldn't have to compromise your language. You shouldn't mm-hmm. have to compromise how you speak to try to work in business, to try uh, make friends. You should to even fall in love. Like you shouldn't have to ever compromise how you speak. And that's what Lip does. Machines should solve that for us. And, and we're, we're actually getting very close to doing that. That's really interesting, actually, because I know someone who was, kind of online dating someone in a different country and he was, again, <laughs> using Google Translate. So it was all very yes. slow when they were trying to speak to each other. So this just yeah. like speeds it up and gives a better interaction, I presume. Abs- I guarantee you in 20 years time, people in Wexford will be able to make friends with people in Warsaw <laughs> and it will seem like there's absolutely no difference. <laughs> this, the, the world is going to get way smaller with this and in, in a good way. 
Tell me about your detractors. Who who thinks this is a terrible idea and why do they think it's a terrible idea? <laughs> oh, well, I suppose. I mean, I haven't had too many detractors, to be honest with you. At least not to my face. I anyway. can't think of but... anything apart from, you know, the people who maybe spent 20 years learning Japanese, for example. <laughs> yeah, well, I tell you, do you know what? There's something to be said about the nuances of language, though. Mm. And it's one of the things we really want to get correct. We actually had an early stage test where we were translate this is very funny now actually uh-huh. and it's one of those things that you only realize after you do it and that's what well, that's what like a startup's all about it's all about making mistakes and learning and uh so we we had a uh we actually you know michael o'leary from uh-huh. from ryanair so we we it's called lip so we lipped michael o'leary into spanish oh okay michael o'leary, yeah but he was speaking uh spanish spanish but he sounded like he was speaking mexican spanish <laughs> so what it sounded to the person was his accent was completely wrong so it was like a person like a british person saying soda you know it, it, it kind of was the difference between the nuances and that's what I'm talking about that human element that we that that you need to have in that uh-huh. and that's the sort of thing we're trying to it's marrying the two you know it's can having I, the heavy lifting done uh-huh. by machines and then humans making it better can I just play a clip from your um your website lipvideo.com yes. even it's it's you yes. so let's just have a quick listen to this I'm on a video presentation to a Japanese client and they don't speak English now that doesn't sound like you. So someone else is dubbing that, is it? The Japanese. That's a fantastic. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. In fact, we've actually we've actually come on further even since then. Uh-huh. So now we can actually clone somebody's voice. So so what we we now have is that it looks like you're speaking the right. So so yes, you're right. That didn't actually sound like me. Mm-hmm. So what that was was a a. a, a text-to-speech engine okay. and the text-to-speech engine basically took takes um you, you kind of hear those all the time kind of robotic sounding voices speaking english and speaking spanish and all these different things so what we actually did was re- we realized that wasn't good enough so what we we decided to do instead was learn how to clone somebody's voice so we take the sort of audio pitch die uh, di- like the, the where they come in in kind of audio pi- um the audio wave mm-hmm. and we we actually have matched that now to how the person talks so okay. you can now clone your voice on lip as well so it'll sound like you and look like you talking so it'll be a japanese speaking japanese with a slightly wexford accent yeah exactly okay. <laughs> exactly yeah. Hey, yeah exactly listen. wonder where the where, where is yeah um. <laughs> exactly listen um you're giving people 10 minutes like to try this out on lip video aren't you yes. okay so yes. if people want to go onto lipvideo.com what do you recommend people do with that 10 minutes to try it out I, honestly, I just think um, try, try whatever whatever way you whoever. Imagine somebody you want to speak to that doesn't speak English. Mm. Yeah, that could be somebody in work. That could be a person, maybe maybe a potential client of a business that you want to reach out to. Mm. Maybe somebody in your work actually uh, isn't from Ireland, and you want to make them feel more integrated. Oh, yeah. Use it. Use it for something good. Use it to make people feel included. Because the whole idea of this, and the reason why I set it up was, I wanted people to make the world a more understanding place, and I wanted people to feel like they were connected to one another so try to connect with somebody that doesn't speak English are, are you someone who you know is very you know like I, I get the whole AI thing but I, as I said at the start I'm so wary about it like I've typed my name mm. into like the chatbots for example and they've mm. got that I have a degree in journalism and that I work in radio and then it just goes completely wrong so I don't <laughs> think that it's as brilliant as people work make yes. out but now things that you're saying I'm like wow I never thought that mm. would be something that would be available 
like did you embrace it early like have you always thought that AI w- is something that will be an advantage in the future uh, I think I think you always kind of stand on the shoulders of people that came before you. Mm. So so if you look at anything anything that we've created, it's always been scary at the start. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, if you even take take cars, for example, cars are an incredibly t- dangerous tool, but they're also fantastic for getting, like they've, they've inc- improved everybody's life. And there's no, no question about that. But what happened was, was there was years, I mean, we set up the Road Safety Authority. We set up the Department of Transport has a lot of work around uh, cars. Road safety is a massive issue and it's always going to be present in everybody's life but we all agree that cars make our lives better so it's about having a a it's about coming at it from a point of view of being ethical it's about it's about coming at it from a point of view of making sure that the human is always in charge and making sure that uh, what we're saying is the right thing so guardrails is how we describe it so putting those guardrails around the ai is what's going to protect us into the future so if you are afraid of ai that's absolutely okay it's about it's about communicating that, providing that feedback and expressing because it is something new. We are still learning the value of it and the mm-hmm. dangers of it. So it's about it's about being aware of that and having an open and honest conversation about how to make it better and safer for everybody to use. Yeah, good point. Well, if you want to check out what David is doing with lip video and lots of videos up there for you to see examples of it, but also you can try it out for free for a few minutes. Lipvideo.com and David is from County Wexford. So we can be very proud of his AI expedition. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a million. It's all a little bit clearer, David, this morning. So (laughs) thanks a million for talking to me this morning and I'm sure I'll talk to you again soon. No problem. Thank you. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. We're heading to County Tipperary next. Well, at least spiritually because we're going to talk to Peter Ryan. He's a man from Thurless living in Dublin and he had big sporting plans from an early age but that all changed after a diagnosis over a decade ago at just 19. Peter joins me this morning to tell us about his plans to run 500 you know the details now Peter don't you this hasn't put you off 586 <laughs> kilometres I would be like no thank you from Malinhead to Mizzenhead with the Top to Toe charity event it's going to happen on October 8th and it's all in aid of the National Council of the Blind NCBI um, that's right isn't it it is indeed yeah you're yes, very uh, welcome <laughs> both uh, pro and minuses <laughs> yes that is very <laughs> have you divided it up into kilometers how many kilometers would you like to do a day yeah so uh, in fairness like the team has grown there's been a lot of kind of project work we only really launched it last week officially maybe about 10 days ago but the breakdown is i'm hoping to do it in five days my smallest day being 108 and largest one being nearer to 130 what? So a bit of logistics on where we decide to pull up and pitch tents and, well, we're not pitching tents, but you know ourselves, um, just based on towns that could kind of join houses and whatnot. So, well, yeah, it is. So um, you're intending to do, what, two and a half marathons a day? Essentially, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> my my. my. My biggest day, my biggest day is going over the tree, Mark. Well, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. And are you a natural runner? No, I wouldn't say so, but I love it. Um, I suppose it's the succinct answer there. I kind of fell into it. I, I was all team sports, GA, soccer growing up. Like, so obviously somewhat athletic, but I wouldn't have said like I was the natural, like fittest guy on the team type thing. But, um, but yeah, like during COVID, like I retired, I obviously I was, I was involved in Paralympic sport for maybe eight years cycling. So I kind of found passion for the endurance side of things. Mm-hmm. And then during COVID, I stepped away from the Paralympic scene and, 
just like most people doing your 5Ks and kind of started a semi uh, bit of a running club amongst a few friends. It was kind of halfway for us to meet each other and then like just kind of escalated. <laughs> and here we are. Well, fair play to you. You are doing 586 kilometers in five days. Well done. Um, let's go back a little bit then, because you uh, alluded to some of the stuff that has happened to you over the last decade. And, and it's been a lot, hasn't it? And I, I suppose for you, it's it's been a lot because it was very unexpected. Yeah, like, look, so I suppose for any of the listeners, yeah, I'm I'm legally blind. I have a condition called Lieber's hereditary optic neuropathy. But <clears throat> yeah, essentially that only came about when I was 19, turning 20. So I lived, like I say, a fully fulfilled, easygoing, simple, whatever normal existence for a country lad down in tip playing GA, playing soccer, playing racquetball, playing anything that would keep you away from school or doing anything of that nature. Um, left school, driving cars, working in construction, serving my time as a pl- an apprentice plasterer. And yeah, obviously this happened and it just came about just, like you said, somewhat suddenly, but like it creeped up on us, making a few mistakes in GA world, taught I needed contact lenses and went for an eye test one day and it turns out like you know, there was a blur in one eye and things somewhat escalated wow. and not in your family or anything so it is hereditary but you're talking a super rare condition that like you're kind of you're pushing the boat out to like four cousins that now now I know them and I know them quite well purely because this connection to do with the eye condition but like at the time even my consultant up in Dublin when I got my diagnosis like she was only dealing with somewhere between like 15 and 20 people in the country that had the condition. So now there might have been a bit of misdiagnosis and different things, but like you're talking, I mean, a very, very minute number of people get this eye condition type thing. So like, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't our defaulting as soon as something was going on with the eyes. We didn't say, oh, it must be that. Do you know, it wasn't. So, yeah, it was one of those weird things as we went along the journey, we started connecting dots and then you know, family members were kind of gravitating towards us saying could be this or whatever. So, yeah, that's. Um, and then how long was the kind of journey from, you know, that diagnosis to this level of impairment? Yeah, so. It was March when I initially went for an eye test and probably near to June before I got diagnosis. And like with that, the the feedback was pretty simple in the sense that it was like LHON is the clinician's name. You're going to lose 80 to 90 percent of your vision, your central central vision in both eyes. And essentially it can be anything from about nine to 14 months. So I suppose subtracting maybe like what because I didn't even know I was like, right, I only noticed something in March, but maybe it's just a few months before March and all those kind of little like questions I didn't have the answer to. But essentially, I probably had another 12 months of degenerating and it was it was only in one eye at this stage. So it was gravitating into the other one in time as well. So, um, yeah, fun, fun times. Uh, fun, I can't fun actually and... imagine how you would feel that that almost sounds like a terminal diagnosis in a way without like being glib about what other people experience. But your whole Life was changing. Uh, and like you said, I'm, I'm conscious of other listeners and the relativity of like, you know, every every house in this country has a story and it, mine might be better or worse than someone's. But but like my story is my story. And and at that time I was 19. And like I said, coming to the table, like we we're kind of in the backdrop to who I was and sporty and you know, a messer and all those kind of things. And, and your whole world is going to change because being told like you're, you're turning blind or you're turning legally blind which is a term that you don't even understand and you don't know what that means and you're told you like Joe you're not going to lose all your sight but like who know like I did not know what that like some total percentage point was going to be and then the actual like 
process itself of that next kind of 12 months aside from the psychological piece like you're you're shedding who you are kind of right in front of yourself mm-hmm. from losing the ability to drive the car to the working working in construction isn't really an option anymore for a blind lad and do you know what I mean then the sports is gone and a lo- all the things I associated with my identity so like yeah I didn't lose my life but I lost I suppose the life I was living <laughs> do you know what I mean I suppose that's the only kind of comparison I can make so it was a yeah. huge and, and lost look, control was, as well Does it, yeah. was there anything yeah, yeah, no, you could do about down, it like I went down all the I look I suppose on the mistakes front I, I made all the mistakes that you could think of the Irish tropes I, I drank way too much I push people away I didn't talk about it I like was in complete denial and, and you, you kind of mentioned like death and whatever and I don't like but like I, I had it as eventually I suppose I ended up doing a lot of counseling and it took a long time for me to accept I needed to do that kind of thing but like, essentially like I said when you're digging into it and to make the comparison I was grieving myself because the the guy I was or the person who I was was gone and mm. there was this new life unfolding in front of me and one I didn't want and I was kind of in a tug of war between what's happening and just wanting to go back to the safety of what I knew and who I was and all that kind of thing. So it was, it was a huge, like it was three years of trying to grapple with some semblance of acceptance. And like, yeah, I did. I went the full hog. I, like I said, I drank to excess. I ended up going to a treatment center. I did 28 days of counseling in there and slowly but surely I started kind of just trying to make some little changes in my life. And look, thankfully, do you know what I mean? Like I say, I, I, I don't want this coming across like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did all these things mm. because I come from a phenomenal family and a great community in rural Ireland and everyone kind of gravitated around me, even though I wasn't able to take on that support at the time. And like like when you're trying to offer anyone help, it's a combination of that help plus timing. Mm-hmm. And eventually I was willing to accept the, the olive branches and the whatever and, and start trying to deal with it and dust myself off. And, and thankfully we have. And that led to the Paralympics. Yeah, like I say, like sport was a huge part of my life and I was kind of re- trying to reclaim a lot of that and the things that I knew I could do and I wanted to find a new version of it because obviously the GA, the soccer, the whatever I used to do was gone but I was like, but that was too much of who I was to just like throw it in the bin and say, oh, that's done, I can't do that ever again and yeah, and eventually like, and, and I hadn't even thought of the Paralympics, like it wasn't something that was in my world, it wasn't part of my vernacular, like knowing anything about the Paralympics or anything that way, but look, it came up in conversation and I was open to just making changes and positive changes and like I say, it was just one of these huge kind of life-altering decisions because I fell into this world and found cycling and basically I suppose like it just snowballed, I, I won a national title pretty early doors and then all of a sudden you're being kind of asked to get in involved with the Irish team and like there there's me thinking I could never play sport again and now I'm putting on an Irish jersey and I'm going to world championships in Canada and I thought I could never get in a plane I thought I could never do you know what I mean like it's like it became this whole catalyst for like so many things I thought I couldn't do like honestly like when I was in a low web you almost think you can't get a train to go to Houston station because it's like your independence is gone how will you do this how will you navigate that like you're just living in a world of fear so like, I suppose by doing a couple of positive things, I started getting a bit of a momentum back in my life and a bit of that old identity kind of wrapped up. And I was like, you know what, I'm still competitive. I still have all these kind of tangible traits that make me who I am. And I just have to kind of channel them in a new direction. And it was it was a pretty cool journey being involved with the, the Irish team for eight years yeah, or so. I can imagine. Made it to the games in Rio and went to like 10 or 12 world championships. Wow, so amazing. Yeah, it wasn't a bad So that yeah. ambition for playing for your county went to representing your country. So... Amazing. And now you're running. How will this work for you now? Are you, you have people running with you, do you? 
Yeah, so and and people can go to the website and I'll I'll plug away at the end. But like, yeah, we have petersvision.org. Like, we have people volunteering, but for the most part, I have a bit of a team around me. It's going to be five days. They'll, at some points, there's going to be a guy on a bike, maybe trying to navigate that way. He'll have the route on the because it's just practicalities wise. It's easier. Like this is big mileage every day. It's hard to find people that'll run a hundred k. I didn't want to try and have to go to the the routes of finding jump 20 people per day doing 5k's do you know what I mean so even from a continuity piece I think like the bike is going to be our friend someone getting out on the road beside me doing a bit of navigating telling me there's a there's a left turn there's a curb there's a this there's a that and we're going to have people like I have a camper van we have two vehicles on the road with us so it's it's going to be a bit of a a moving circus I hope and like and just get that kind of I suppose feel good factor as we're coming into towns and trying to create a bit of like I suppose what the NCBI are doing like it's a huge project they're undertaking the two of us are going to try and pull this off together with this community intervention based fan that they want to hit 150 towns next year so it's quite poignant even what I'm trying to do and the amount of towns we're going to go through over the space of the week so it's um yeah it's just it's just kind of escalating <laughs> and yeah, you know what, really what started off as a very random idea of mine is uh <laughs> it's growing now you have to do it and tell me well, about, <laughs> tell me about that fan that the national council for the blind of ireland want to bring across ireland what's their plan yes, so so they've kind of the vision van and i suppose in a very layman terms it's going to be a mobile ophthalmology department they want to get it straight to the heart of communities 150 towns is the plan for next year where people can come i suppose much akin to your blood donation only instead of giving you're getting um that's that's the quickest succinct way so like you can do your eye screens they're going to have ai equipment in there to so i suppose the big the stark one that i really bought into this is like 70 to 80 percent of actual like legal people that are legally blind in ireland that it's been through preventable conditions and as well as that then it's going to be the ncbi they're the main charity obviously in ireland for sight loss so it's going to be that community-based hub where Right, you can do your eye test, but also you can find out what services are available. And this is my bit of give back, because I'd like to think, like I said, between the family network, between the NCBI, between whatever, it's like I'm in a fortunate position. I have a job. I have my confidence back, more to the point, and I'm content. There was for a long time you didn't think any of these things were possible because you just equated being blind with that, and it doesn't have to be. Well, you have such an inspiring story, and you're doing... A mad but inspiring thing on October the 8th and that is running 586 kilometres from Mallonhead to Mizzenhead. You can get more details on Peter's story um, on petersvision.org and that's where you'll get more details where to donate to Peter as well. And as he said, all funds going to the NCBI. That's the National Council of the Blind of Ireland. Peter, thanks a million for joining me and best of luck. Listen, I am going to check in with you in October to see how everything's going, OK? Because... I am, Honestly, I, the, I am, the, the team are on the road. They don't. They'd only love to be. I, okay. I can't say I'll, I'll um, be able to string too many sentences together, but uh, I'll get them to really hand you the phone. It. Okay. Cheers. Yeah. Right, yeah. Deal. Okay. Brilliant. Wing twice for your. You're good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thanks a million for talking to me this morning. Cheers. The best of really everything. Thanks. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Well, October 10th is World Mental Health Day and a gathering is being held in Cork that day, which includes West Waterford TV chef Eunice Power, who will be talking about gut health and why it's important when it comes to mental health. It's sponsored by Cork-based company Precision Biotics and Eunice is here with more details. Ah, the old gut health, Eunice, we talk a lot about it these days, don't we? We do and we do, Orla, but you know, it's really important and um. It's funny, I'm really looking after my gut at the moment because when I get busy, I tend to let things slide. 
So for the month of August and the beginning of September, I really kind of didn't watch my diet. I was working really hard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really felt it in my gut, you know, um, because when your gut isn't right and when you're not eating properly, you feel hungry. You don't know why you do. You don't know what, you know, you don't know what you're hungry for, what's motivating you. Um, you uh, Like, this is me. I feel a bit imbalanced. Okay. So, you know, and I don't know what is am I, am I tired am I sad am I hungry like what, what is what is demand what is this drive for the wrong kind of food mm-hmm. and so it's September is a great time to get back to basics start taking probiotics again and really start looking at your diet again and incorporating good food and in your diet that's going to make you feel really good and what do you incorporate in your ingredients to do that like what sort of ingredients are are, are you doing you're well known for so many great recipes what what are those ingredients that assist your gut assist your gut well things like so dairy is really good and we've got such a range of dairy now i mean there's um there's uh, irish yogurt conakilty for example have a kefir yogurt that is brilliant to kind of, you know just to settle you down and to get mm-hmm. things going and, and to encourage a, that good I, bacteria i went through a phase of making my own kefir have you heard of this where they give you the starter and you make it every day so I, spent, I know all about it. Yeah, I spent about a year doing that. And it was at a time where there was nowhere that you could buy it in the shops. But I see it everywhere now. There's a, there's a little bit of joy in making it yourself, but there's a little bit of hard work because you have to do it every night and then strain it in the morning. Um, we have a lovely health food shop here in Dungarvan, Blasta. And Robin Blasta very kindly got me some kefir starter mm. from one of his customers. So I'd add the milk to it. And every time I went to it, somebody had thrown it out because oh. it was gone off. Because <laughs> it looks like it's gone off, doesn't it? Yeah, it does a little bit. You know, it separates a tiny bit. But yeah. I mean, that was my Kefir story. So it was, I was constantly going back into it saying, it's gone, it's But gone. it's so great to see but, yeah. that it's available in the shop instead of having to strain it. And then I was ma- having to make it into a smoothie because it's it's quite sour. But it is full of prebiotics, isn't it? And great for your gut. Oh, it's absolutely brilliant. And, um, you know, so you can buy, buy probiotics as well um and you know which you can take every day and you don't have to always take them i mean i take them for a month or two and i settle myself down so a good time for me to take them would be maybe september october um i take probiotics maybe two months and then in january because we all start everything in january don't we in january and february and then i might go back to may and june you know and um and it's just to get yourself into a really good routine um so eating things like, you know, snack food. And another thing is we're all so time poor because, as I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, like during August and I was really busy, I was time poor. I was grabbing on the go. But you can set yourself up for good habits, you know, mm-hmm. by shopping and some really simple things that you can make like amazing meals from. Like if I always have eggs in the fridge, I know that I'm onto a winner. I mean, eggs are brilliant. They're great to boost brain health. They have vitamin 12. Um, they have our so vitamin B12. They have um, uh, they have an ingredient called choline, or not a property called choline, which reduces inflammation and it promotes brain function. And then having some lovely leafy greens, you know, some nice spinach or some kale. Um, literally wilt that in a pan um, whisk in your eggs and have some tinned fish in the fridge. A tinned mm. fish is absolutely powerful stuff. And people often, you know, like at the moment, fish is really expensive. But if you can buy, you know, tins of sardines or tuna, 
um, they're you know they're canned in a very kind of light oil, and they're brilliant for omega three fatty acids, which are um, which are so good for our brain and for our gut. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear you talk about that because I I suppose in a way when we think of you know chefs and and recipes, we think of indulgence like every like to me food is just a joy and a, and an event for an awful lot of people and for me especially, but it. Like food can be both decadent and gorgeous, but also quite good for you. Like like what you're saying with eggs and, you know, the milks and the dairy. Yeah, it can. And it's but, you know, you can make really like delicious kind of desserty things for yourself as well. Mm. You know, some lovely Greek yogurt. You can go for the kefir yogurt, stir in some blueberries and blueberries like amazing, bursting with antioxidants. Mm-hmm. They're absolutely brilliant and antioxidants stimulate the flow of blood you know and the oxygen to the brain so it's just it's just such a powerful food but you know you can grate some dark chocolate on top because dark chocolate is also great food mm-hmm. it's a great source of iron and you know i need chocolate i need chocolate in my diet Orla. like every day at four okay. o'clock i need a little bit of chocolate so i always plan to have it there you know okay, and you. um so i always keep a little bit of dark chocolate in the fridge and i snap off a little bit with I- my um and when, and when you're talking about, you know, starting again, September is always kind of a, a, a new new year type. And you're talking about the, you know, going back to basics with your food and thinking about your good health. But do, do you see a change in your your head and, and how you're working when you do That's, that? I absolutely do. That's why I do it. It's for my head, because if my um, if my diet is wrong, everything is wrong for me. I mean, it's just I go down a, a slippery slope. Um, you're much clearer. You're more energetic when you eat properly. You're, I mean, like I've started this in the beginning of September and I was up at half six this morning, did a 9K, 9K walk before I did anything. Now, I had neglected doing all of that at the beginning of the, you know, like when I got busy in the summertime. So you just function much better. You have time to think, you know. And I'd also say to people, like when they're walking, like don't always have your headphones in. Um, be mindful, you know, when you're when you're walking and kind of be alone with your own thoughts. It's brilliant. And you can kind of plan your day and stop to pick a few blackberries. That's what I do. And another really simple thing to do when you're shopping, swap brown for white. Oh. So brown bread for white bread, brown rice for white rice, swap brown pasta for white pasta. And it's a really simple thing. Do you mean the other way um, around? White pasta for brown. Swap white for brown. Yes, okay. brown for yes, white. Sorry. Brown for white. So swap, so yeah, swap so to swap the browns. Yeah. Brown, yeah. Swap, sorry, God. Um, swap brown for white. So, um, you know, it's a bread, uh, pasta, yeah. barley, pearl barley, one. great mm. to add in stews, pull out your slow cooker, um, bulgur wheat. Um, and it's just so, um, it makes such a difference, but it's such a simple thing to mm. do. You make it sound so easy, but it is. It's about simple choices and swaps and things like that. Yeah, it is. And it's about organising yourself, yeah, you know. true. So true. And that only takes minutes. And yet I procrastinate about that constantly. Well, listen, you're going to be in Cork for the Gut, gut Instinct, Instinct event. It gets underway at the Cork International Hotel at 7pm on October 10th. Um, if you fancy a trip to Cork, it is a free event, but you do need to book. So just go to precisionbiotics.ie forward slash gut instinct for more details. That is West Waterford Chef Eunice Power. You're so busy, so I can imagine why you need to get everything in check so you can just plough on through the day. 
Well, yeah, I tried to, but you know what? I'm human as well, Orla. You yeah, know, I we know. All fail. We yeah. all fall. But the thing is to remember to pick yourself up. Don't, you know, don't give out to yourself, you know, if, mm-hmm. if, if something goes wrong in your diet, because we're, we're human, you know, it exactly. does go wrong. Exactly. But it just start again, start true. again. True, true. Yeah. Well, thanks really for talking to us. And I'm sure I'll be chatting to you over the next month, next few months over all the different things that you have going on. Eunice, thank you so much for joining me this morning. It's my pleasure, Orla. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. It's a Sunday. It's the Sunday Grill. You're listening to Beat 102-103. That's Brian Griffin over there. Hello. And if you like a black comedy, well, then you'll like The Blackening. It is aptly named. It's also a slasher. It's a horror comedy. Joins a group of black friends on a weekend getaway to celebrate Juneteenth. They go off to an ill-fated cabin in the woods. I'd like, seriously, come on now. Why would you go to a cabin in the woods? Yeah. Like, you, you need to know from the start. Cabins in the Woods, not good things. What what was that movie that kind of broke the horror mould about 20 years ago and it was set in a cabin in the woods and it was all self-filming? Um, oh, par- Paranormal Activity. Yeah. It's no, 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 not Paranormal Activity. No. Blair Witch Project. Blair Witch Project. That's 30 years ago now. <gasps> no. I think it's mid-90s. Wow. Well, no, no. It's definitely, definitely the 90s. noughties. No, no, because they... they they joked about it in a scary movie. That was a scary movie. It was like 99 and 2001 or something. I'm looking that up now because there's no way it was the 90s. I will eat my top if it was the 90s. Oh, 1999. Well. <laughs> Get it, me the ketchup. It's radio, but I can describe it. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is one of those movies that you just kind of mentioned. I don't like a comedy horror. Oh, you don't? I think pick a genre. Don't go comedy horror. Anyway, um, I I actively encourage comedy you? horror. Okay, but I like the idea of this because the movie plays on the trope that it's always the black character that dies first in a horror and then touches on many other stereotypes that we see in movies. But are there jump scares and jokes? Brian is here with his thoughts. Yeah. yeah. So wait now, hold on. Okay. I have a clip. To okay. Play. Okay. Okay. I'll do the clip first. Let me just find it though. Okay. You <laughs> <laughs> still a slave to the white man? I'm gonna start calling my wife the white man. All right. Newness here's the anthem. Put your hands up that you shoot with. What we do on Juneteenth? Oh hell no. Where are you going? Look for the fuse box. What kind of house is this? No, no, thank you. The blackening? Whoa! Jim Crow Monopoly. It probably runs on racism. Pick a card and save Morgan. What do you mean, save Morgan? Refuse to play, and she dies. I think we have to play the game. In your predicament, the black character is always the first to die. I will spare your lives if you sacrifice the person you deem the blackest. The blackest? Nobody should judge anybody in here, bro. You have two minutes to decide. Wait. Y'all can't pick me. I'm gay. Oh, Clifton. Yeah. That can prove I'm not the blackest. Prove it. I've never seen Friday. I voted for Trump. <gasps> what? What? Twice. There you go. That is the blackening. I like the sound of it. And the tagline is, we can't all die first. Yeah. So give us the premise of this. So it is, yeah, it's it's a group of friends. It's their 10 year, oh, it's their ten year anniversary and they're going up to this cabin in the woods because 10 years ago that night they had like their Juneteenth party. Okay. So they were uh, recreating this experience. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's the most like, 
not like there's nothing new about it if I'm gonna be like straight like okay. it kept it kept pushing the like when I went in to see it it was like a parody kind of comedy horror I was like okay there's like two ways you can go with this you can go with the kind of the kind of scary movie where it's just like you take the pace with everything you have so much fun you mock the industry you mock like everything is satire of like this is racist in the industry this is racist because this always happens mm. and or you can go with the kind of get out way where it's like everything's actually quite intelligent but it's still mocking the industry so like like it's like oh they're like using black people in it it's a very kind of nuanced way same with scary movie Mm -hmm. it's very nuanced because they're so proud of their culture Mm -hmm. but also like they're also joking about it because of how stupid this situation is and I think we should explain Juneteenth um, which is actually an official holiday in the US and it commemorates the end of slavery in the United States so it you know from the very beginning this is significant yeah. but it it this this kind of falls in the category of it's too afraid to be seen as a parody but also oh not why go- is it too afraid it i feel at stages it goes from like it it made me want to watch scary movie so bad like okay. which was like f- scary movie was also written by black men like the Wayne's brothers uh-huh. like and they they did scary movie the first two anyway and like it's just so like the, the culture in it is represent, represented so accurately because they're the ones like that wrote it and then they also portray it. Uh-huh. So like they're the ones that, like they're not like throwing somebody else under fire. It's like they know what they want to see on it and it's hilarious. Uh-huh. Like it's so funny. So is then the blackening a bit of a product of its generation in a, a way? S- a small bit. Like it, it does it does kind of feel like it was initially a, a scary movie-esque movie but then they were like we wanted to try and be deemed as like Black filmmaking mm-hmm. is it can be just as like on on par with like any of the other other like horror filmmakers. But I'm like, embrace embrace what you have. Do you know, like there's like scary movie. There's probably horror movies that came out around the time of scary movie that have been completely forgotten because scary movie was in itself so creative and so different. Mm-hmm. Whereas I just feel like this falls between so many cracks of like trying to please many areas that it's just like oh. And even the stages, so there's like this one character, Clifton, and he appears and most of the characters can't, like, they don't really remember who he is. Okay. And it's like, clearly, clearly something's not right about this. He's clearly the dude that's going to end up being. Uh-huh. And it's like, I don't know. And they're actually quite mean to him, which makes me feel like, you know what, I don't really, I don't really care if things happen to you now. Like, it's only if you're watching a horror movie and you're like, you like the characters, you don't want anything to happen to them because it's like your friend's. You want them to be protected, but they're actually kind of mean. It's like, you know, you're not saving yourself here. There's like one character that, like, and that I recognize from Vines, uh, mm. Melvin Gregg. He, mm-hmm. Like, literally was watching a Vine compilation afterwards because I was like, immediately when I saw him, I was like, I know exactly who you are. But it's like, he, I, I you knew him from the app Vines. Vine, yeah. Wow. Yeah, oh, yeah. Vine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From back in the day. Yeah, there's a couple of Vine people okay. in movies, wow. to be fair. Um, but it's just like he. I felt like he was. Kind of, I don't know because maybe just the fact that I knew him beforehand. But he was kind of my favorite character because he was just kind of fun. So he kind of mm. was that kind of scary movie, happily stereotypical black guy situation type thing. And you know, even from the clip you can hear, they're touching on other stereotypes. You know, a, a, a black gay guy, for example. Yeah, so he can't die first. Yeah, and you know, someone who voted for Trump. So it is, but it is is one of those things where it's like they're they're so positive about being black, but also at the same time, the whole movie is about we are black, and it's like, mm. like that's 
not really like it, sure it's great and everything but it's like all the great like movies of diversity of the last like whatever 10 years like let's say Black Panther for example because mm-hmm. there's there's a stage where they walk down the stairs and there's like a Black Panther on the wall which I thought was actually kind of funny but um, the, like that was fantastic because it was just a, like a fantastic superhero movie that happened to have a black cast mm. you know it's like mm. it didn't have any, it, like it wasn't it embraced the fact that they were black mm. but it wasn't the fact that they're black mm. Only, do you mm. know, and same. Which like, is the way movies should be, exactly. You know? And like, but this this felt very much we're black. Okay, that's it. Yeah, do you know, it's like. Okay. But is that not the premise of something that's called the blackening? You know, yeah, that but, it's you know it's kind of making fun of all these stereotypes that are thrown into movies it, in in the states mostly. It it does in a sense, but it it doesn't makes as much fun of them as it should. Like, and I suppose, how, like, can you get ninety minutes or more out it, of that? It makes fun of them, but then also like wants to have like this plot line of like well you've kind of like pushed me away as a friend and like like oh you went back to him and it's like Mm. I don't care like I want if it's a horror comedy I don't really care about like you want scary movie yeah Yeah. I want want, and I literally was look watched it I was like I just like I kept thinking of just random jokes from the scary movie movies okay and it's just like they were making me laugh Mm because I was like I don't know it's just have fun with it if you're gonna embrace your culture embrace everything and then like just appreciate it and then like you can make fun of how crazy it is or how silly it is mm-hmm. but like you can't just be picking and choosing like oh we're great because of this and then white people are bad it's like mm-hmm. yeah fair but like at least make make it funnier like you know yeah um, I hear there's a really like out of the blue twist or is that just me reading oh, I've read know. it in a few things no I don't know it, it felt like the most formulaic thing okay. I've ever seen in my entire yeah. life I'm not gonna lie to you okay good to know Let's do some black puddings, please. I will give it five. Oh, that's been your lowest in a while, Brian. Yeah, I just, I, it like, it made me laugh like five times. Oh, and like, and you were excited going. I was, I was actually looking forward to seeing it, like, Uh and I was like, this could be very funny. And like, they, they, they make some like funny jokes. Like, they make at the start, there's like Jay Pharaoh's in like the first scene, like, and he's like, oh, like they were saying in Scream how they had these people in. It's like, oh, that's because the, 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 they probably couldn't afford to have them for the entire movie. Oh, okay. And these two characters look at each other and like, nah. And then they die. <laughs> and I'm like, that's funny. Like, that's yeah, good that fun. Funny. It's like, yeah. I felt like it was setting up for a scary, uh-huh. mo- a scary movie type thing where it was like breaking apart horror movie tropes and stuff like that. But then it just became like the most formulaic movie you've ever seen in your entire okay. life. And it's like, oh. Five black puddings out of ten. Not great for the blackening. It is out in cinemas as we speak. Brian is off to watch many more movies for us. Yeah, uh, but I'm going to watch a scary movie again, to be fair. Okay, we won't review that no, next no. week. The Haunting in Venice is the next one, I'd say. Is that another horror? Uh, I think it kind of is. It's it's, a, it's is the it? next one of the Murder in the Orange Express. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't seem very enthused by that, to be fair. A thriller more than anything, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'd say so. But I think it's bordering on horrors because it's like got ghosts and stuff in it. Okay. From the one trailer that I saw once a couple of months ago. That's All right. So we'll hold you that off for next week. Yes, sounds good. Thank you very much. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102 103.